Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zwicky on High and Healthy. And joining us today with the pleasure of welcoming Stephen Gray, who is the author of How Psychedelics Can Help Save the World. Welcome aboard, Stephen. Thank you. <laughs> so, Stephen, you and I are actually physically quite close. You're in Vancouver. I'm over on uh, Vancouver Island. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've known about you for many years, but uh, you've been writing and been recognized as a spiritual and sacred heart medicine leader for about five decades. How did you start off? Well, I certainly wasn't a leader back in those days. And just to, none of us start as a leader, but we have it built. We have those genes inside of us that drive us to become that. It was following my nose, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first of all, a minor correction, if you don't mind. Um, I'm not the author per se of how psychedelics can help save the world. I'm um, my job is editor. There are 25 contributors. Um, I've written some chapters for it, but um, more than author, I'm editor. Yeah, uh, I should have said author in, but that's fair. No worries. Just want to collect, correct it for your audience yep. that uh, um, I didn't write the whole book. Uh, I, I just pulled all these cats together. <laughs> that's um, a lot of work too, herding cats. Yeah, yes, and they are, they are uh, like uh, cats in that regard because these people – generally tend to be extremely engaged in life and uh, are hard to get, you know, sometimes. And I could tell you some stories, but I won't, about how difficult it was with some of them uh, um, and some of the gyrations we went through. But to answer your question, um, uh, it has something to do, no doubt, with my uh, age, um, because I came of age, so to speak, in the late 1960s and early 70s. Right. Um, and at that time, there was an explosion of interest in two uh, interrelated, as it turned out, um, uh, phenomena. And one was uh, spirituality, particularly of the Asian uh, variety, like Hinduism and Buddhism mm -hmm. in particular. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And the other was psychedelics. Right. Um, and they came along, they came to the West kind of at the same time in terms of, you know, you know, getting out into the culture. I mean, obviously, uh, these uh, sacraments had been around for millennia. Um, yeah. And the psychedelics had been around since 1943. I mean, uh, LSD, I mean, um, yeah, and cannabis also had a lot to do with this. Uh, so I, I was interested in all I was basically interested in anything other than the culture that I grew up in. <laughs> <laughs> what, well, what was that culture specifically? I mean, Vancouver used to be a very traditional white Anglo-Saxon British based culture. Is that your background? Not from here, but from Ontario, not from here in Vancouver, but from Ont Southern Ontario. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, I was born in 1949. So, um, you know, my first uh, decade or so was in the 1950s, which I consider one of the um, sort of the nadir of Western civilization in certain respects because uh, of the conformity and the paranoia about nuclear you know, warfare and all that kind of stuff that's sometimes referred to as a button-down generation. Yep. Uh, you know, we don't want to get distracted by that, but basically, you know, with respect, because I do feel some respect for it, 
um, that generation that was my parents came out of two terrible extended disasters, so to speak. One was the Great Depression, and it was immediately followed by World War II. So they had a great need to uh, sort of get, uh, get some security, some financial security and, you know, stuff like and that. Stability my, and the right. Yeah. They looked for conformity to make it easy to understand all the changes that were going on because the changes were, you know, we talk about them being massive today, but oh. they were phenomenal. Uh, the changes that occurred in the post-war period with the massive migration, the economic mm -hmm. boom, they needed that organization to keep on track. That's right. But it wasn't right for the kids. You bet. Um, uh, so we can thank them for that in certain respects. Nonetheless, um, it was pretty stultifying in a lot of ways, and it was a very narrow focused, um, you know, there was a term I don't hear anymore called WASP, white Anglo-Saxon yep. Protestant. That was my background. Um, so anyway, I was really interested in all that stuff. And my whole generation was sometimes referred to uh, sometimes pejoratively as the baby boomer generation, but that was the generation that I was born into. And... Um, uh, and so there was a lot of us that came along and in the West, if you were, especially if you were middle class, so to speak, um, there was a sense of, for my generation, there was a sense of sort of, um, relaxation or financial security in there at the same time, recognizing the, the sort of, um, limitations of it, to put it mildly. Right. Um, and then along came all this information, and I, I was very interested uh, in both the spiritual side uh, of it and the um, psychedelic side of it. So that's what got me going and all that. And just for um, a little context, um, uh, sort of going forward, you might say, uh, there was a, um, a notion around, I don't know if you'd call it a meme or what, but um, for, for people who had explored psychedelics, and were interested in the spiritual uh, growth uh, potential, um, there was this idea going around that, well, so maybe you've had an experience of the divine, the oneness of the universe, and, you know, all-encompassing love or whatever, but what are you going to do for the rest of your life? You can't just keep taking acid every week, um, uh, despite Timothy Leary's attempts to do so. Um, <laughs> uh, excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> so for a lot of us, it was, you need some kind of a practice, some kind of ongoing connection. And for me, that became Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, and I got involved with, quite involved with that for quite a long time, and then eventually bumped into Terence McKenna's work, mm -hmm. which reconnected the spirituality and the psychedelics uh, part of it, and got me really interested in all that. And uh, that led, one thing led to another. I started doing some ayahuasca, did some mushrooms here and there, got involved with the Native American church, uh, peyote prayer ceremonies, um, uh, more recently, but not currently. Uh, I've, I've been a sort of um, uh, adjunct participant, so to speak, of the uh, Santo Daime uh, ayahuasca using religion here in Vancouver. Right. So I've probably done a couple of dozen of their ceremonies. So that's my background with all that. And then at some point, um, perhaps with a little bit of hubris at the time, maybe I thought I knew more than I did. Um, I decided to put a together a book of all all the things that I thought I knew. <laughs> right. We knew better on the conceptual or cerebral level than I did in practice. Um, uh, and I called that book Returning to Sacred World. And that came out in 2011 from a small publisher in England. And that led me... Um, 
to uh, Andrew Resmer, the founder of the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference, and that led to a whole bunch of things connecting with all the people. Fourteen of the of the contributors to the book have actually spoken to that conference, and I've been co-organizing. And that's held in Vancouver, right? Uh, yes, and we're in our 12th year, and if this gets out in time, um, <laughs> I hope people will come to that. It's a seminal event. It's a very important event, especially now, and this is not a boast. This is not a sales pitch. I really believe this. Um, uh, we need nodes of empowerment like this where people come together now because the planet needs is in bad need of a revision uh you know a re-understanding uh um, as daniel pinchbeck called it in a recent article a neurological rewiring um from the inside out and spreading out to the outer world and in fact that's the mission or motivation behind the book how psychedelics can help save the world so that's the short answer of my biography so to speak <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference is November 3rd to 5th, I believe, in Vancouver, correct? It is, yes. Um, How many people are you expecting? Well, we're hoping for a sellout, which would be a little over 500 participants. Um, and one of the things that I consider special about the our conference, and it's not just because I consider it special, but because that has been the record, uh, is that we consciously, deliberately have chosen to have all the whole conference in one room and have no breakout rooms, etc. So um, we gather everybody in one room uh, and everybody, in a sense, has a similar experience. Right. To the extent that 500 people can have a similar experience. Um, uh, and so there's an energy that develops over the course of the weekend, uh, which is quite lovely. It's, it becomes increasingly powerful. It's almost kind of like an electrical charge and it has a heart quality. Um, right. Because of a lot of that's to do with the speakers who also bring that into it. Um, and we also have a cannabis ceremony on Saturday evening, which adds to that as well. Um, so, um, and it's, so it's really turned out to be a great place for people to connect with each other. I've, I, I've heard a number of people and, you know, for any one person that tells you something, you can assume there's another 10 or 20 or 30 that had a similar experience, but didn't come up and tell you. Yep. People tell me that, uh, it's changed their lives because they, I, I'm, I'm the MC most years. Well, actually every year. And <laughs> one of the very first things I say on Friday starts around one on Friday afternoon, the third. Um, right. Regardless of how reticent and shy you are, um, please push yourself this weekend and walk up to total strangers and introduce yourself and ask them why they're here. Because right. that's what happens. People find out things that change their direction. They go and that leads them to some new course of study or they find a great ceremony leader or whatever, you know, or they partner up with people to do things, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, it actually goes back to something you said earlier, uh, indirectly, um, <clears throat> about, you know, you started exploring Tibetan Buddhism and the ideas that were flowing from the East to the West and so on. And you actually can take it back even to a more, uh, you know, more metal level. We started with true globalization in the 1500s, 1600s with the, uh, you know, the exploration of the West and of the, you know, the Americas and more tra trade between the, east and asia and europe and it started with goods but ideas also began to flow and mm -hmm. in the post-war period with you know not just the all the people who are deployed internationally but also transportation opening up mm -hmm. it's helped tr the trade the sharing of ideas 
from a globalization perspective that mm-hmm. is completely different than anything we exi- that existed in the past. Because 100 years ago, people's lives were focused in basically a two-hour radius of their home. Yeah, they didn't exactly. travel any further for their entire life. And it was very rare for people to get ideas that were shared. And That's then in cool. the 1950s, cars started coming into play <clears throat> and your work life and your home life spread to a larger area. And so did your community. And today your community is global yep. and, and the sharing of ideas is global. And when you walk up to somebody in a conference and you start asking that question, like you said, that's a form of globalization where you're now transferring the ideas and the comments in ways you'd never thought of before, but we become connected to this community that isn't just the room, it's yeah. everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at it and you have you know people coming in to the conference, they come from all around the world. And they take everything home with them afterwards. What do you hope they take home? And how do you expect, hope they use the, what they gain throughout the year after? Um, hmm, good question. Uh, hang on a second. Um, well, it's, you know, to put it sort of simplistically, I suppose it's about changing the world. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and we could talk about that for a long time or just breeze by it and go on to more specific aspects of all this. But um, uh, basically, uh, well, let me just have some fun with this. Please do. Um, there's many different ways to see it and, and say it. And this is just a partial, you know, way of describing what's going on, so to speak. Actually, let me go back even farther and have some fun with this. Um, here's an origin myth for you. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's variations on this. Um, the creators, uh, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I, I think of the creators, whatever they are, as, uh, as um, creative artists, always creating beauty, always creating new new things to um, explore and find out about. Um, and so uh, in, uh, in this origin myth, that's what this planet was, um, is uh, in a sense, but was yep. designed that way. There's a, there's, a, there's a term that I came upon in a book called autopoetic, which means um, something like self, uh, self-correcting, self-generating. Um, and so uh, this planet was designed with uh, entities or beings to be self-generating, self-correcting, self-evolving uh, in a sense. Um, and so, and then exploring this particularly, you, you know, it may be even unique for all we know in the universe, um, uh, configuration of, um, factors, you know, the interweaving of everything of oxygen and, you know, water and air and all this stuff at a particular density, particular gravity level, all that sort of stuff. But there's the, here's the key part of it. Uh, uh, according, you know, according to this sort of, uh, origin myth, the idea originally was that the humans, the self, the, the autopoetic yes. humans, um, uh, would be able to explore this world as individuals, but also know who they were, also connected to the divine, to the source, to the creators, right? right? And then somehow or another, we got a little too chuffed with ourselves, as it were, um, a little too um, cocky uh, to think that we were the creators of all this somehow, that we were creating our own world independent of it, and we'd lost touch. Overall, some communities maintained a stronger bond or connection to that throughout time, but overall, we lost it. Um, and um, and fell into what the world of what uh, Buddhists would call samsara, the confused mind of ego. 
Right. And, uh, so um, uh, the long and the short of all that is that we've reached a, a kind of nexus point right now. We've come to a point where um, uh, it's 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 ripened in a sense. It's over ripened, you might say, and the karmic crap has hit the wall. And so we've reached a moment where. Um, we really need uh, a reconfiguration, a, a neurological rewiring to, um, to ch you know, to change the world, as I say, you know, uh -huh. and as I mentioned. And so um, where psychedelics come into this is that um, we're so um, encrusted, you might say, uh, into inside this ego and, and you know, for, for the, um, People haven't really thought much about what the word ego means other than in a colloquial or conventional sense of, you know, he's an egotist or whatever. I'll just throw in, um, you know, the a kind of a Buddhist definition. It's by no means exclusive to Buddhism, of course. Um, but they were, they had a lot of time up on that plateau to analyze things and um, yeah. <laughs> meditate on them, you know, no distractions, no telephone, no telegraph, no internet, um, etc. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, uh, what what in that sense is called ego is um, what we have created for ourselves as a series of concepts and beliefs and so on from the time we were born. And they would often say, many would say, you know, piled up over a number of lifetimes, many, maybe many lifetimes. In any case, uh, it, 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 from that point of view, it doesn't exist other than as a collection of thoughts that exist in our head, so to speak. And of course, they affect everything in the whole organism. Yes, right. Uh, you know, how we hold things in our body. But nonetheless, it's an illusion that we are separate. Um, and um, and, and it, it's uh, synonymous with struggle and fear, actually. Um, and so uh, it's been a, a sort of a war or battle of survival for a long time, uh, and, a, and what you might call a spiritual disconnection or disconnect, which has allowed us to treat the, I mean, it's, you know, this is way more complex than that, really, you know, all kinds of people have written about it, philosophers and mystics and all kinds of things. But this is a sort of a simple version of it, uh, of the, so the, the fruition of the origin myth, if you will, and not the fruition, but where we are at now, I think the fruition is yet to come, I think. Um, and, and so, um, uh, uh, we've become so encrusted that, uh, the psychedelics, uh, are, um, have an immense potential right now. Um, the way I often like to think of it is that when the patient is in an advanced state of illness, strong medicines are required. Um, so, you know, that encrustedness needs, you know, that uh, ice, so to speak, needs to be broken up um, for as many people as can possibly do it. And right. psychedelics have that potential, you know, especially, obviously, when they're used with intention and skill and hopefully in the right kind of context and con container with, you know, perhaps some guidance of one kind or another. But when they're done right, optimally, they um, they show us truths, you know, strangely enough. They're, it's not just like, you know, some, you know, parallel reality. It's truth. Um, they show us the truths about ourselves uh, um, are oftentimes the wounds from our past that need to come to light and they show us um, or they potentially enter us into um, a, a, a holy space, you might say, that is real. You know, oftentimes people, indigenous people in particular, will say, um, uh, you know, this, uh, the, what you encounter when you do these medicines right is more real than the so-called reality that 
most people live in every day, which is kind of what Buddhists say about enlightenment versus samsara, so to speak. So, so we're we're in a situation where we we need information and we need activation really badly right now, and um, the psychedelics can help, and that's the mission of the book again. And it's it's a fantastic mission. It's you know society as a whole. We've been transformed in the last you know twenty five years, well twenty years barely, with the advent of and you know people having the mobile phones, the smartphones mm-hmm. in their hands, yeah. where we have the immediacy of access of information. People want to know the answers, and they have them immediately. But on the same hand, we're becoming more and more disconnected from each other because we have that immediate individual mm-hmm. access. Yeah. And it continues to strengthen, or you know, and that's and well, you could continues to weaken a community sense, but it continues to strengthen mm-hmm. the individuality, which again leads to some disconnect. And it's very difficult for people to get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, um, you know, when you were speaking about that and what everything you're just mentioning there and the definition of ego, it goes, it goes very much to that, but also you look at. There's organizations, let's say like Google, which put an incredible focus on their mindfulness program a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet, as a entity and as a public company, their operational side of the business, their goals, their drive, and what they push towards, in many ways goes against that sense of community because it's about the their individual enrichment as an organization Mm-hmm. to deliver value back to the shareholder. Society as a whole is stuck in that cycle. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about a reset, how do you see that coming and into play? Oh boy, that's a that's a really tough question. <laughs> you know, I'm not <laughs> I I don't I don't have the all seeing eye there. No, uh, but you know when people start yeah. talking about mindfulness. Yeah. And yeah. we they don't connect their own individual mindfulness yeah. to the greater perspective of how it fits together how do they, how can they bridge the gap well that's 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 the question isn't it yeah first of all we need more people to make the connection with themselves um right. you know again that's where the psychedelics are the starting point so to speak um for a lot of people because again we're so encrusted we're so walled off from our divine nature our true nature that um how do we um open that door well so one way of answering your question is that when you truly do open that door or you know even partially uh you know full enlightenment if you will is uh is you know <laughs> rare you might say um uh-huh. but um there's degrees of it you could say actually let me let me uh, hopefully kind of maintain my train of thought of where we're going with this but i here's a little template or idea that i like a meta, metaphor yeah. or whatever um it's not a metaphor um anyway uh you might think of the spiritual awakening path um as uh if this is if you know if you, if there was a line you know if you could take it on a line so one yeah. of the line the starting point is where um you're everything about your identity and the way you live your life is based on this collection of concepts and beliefs again which is this separate ego illusion right right Um, it's all virtual it's like what do i believe is true what do i believe is false what do i believe is possible or not possible what do i believe is right and wrong and what do i believe is i'm capable of and you know other people are capable of and so on and so on 
but that's all existing in a in a in a in a in, a, in the cloud, you might say. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, so um, the path quality is gradually, I think, in almost all cases, gradually learning to trust a direct experience um, that's not based on all that stuff on all those concepts it's actually experiencing things direct like my old buddhist right. teacher said you know life is like um a straight drink was one of his metaphors another one was um you know if you put your hand on a hot stove you know that's a hot you know you're going to burn your hand right that's yep. real you're not uh -huh. you don't have to go it's not some a Schrodinger's experiment <laughs> some concept about you know what hot is or anything you know exactly hot right um so you're gradually learning to trust the awakened state um uh over time and eventually the the fruition of the path you might say is totally surrendering and relaxing into the energies that move uh, interwoven energies that move around and that's intelligence um and so um Again, what psychedelics can do is open up some of those channels to show us what's possible. They can sort of show us where the territory is leading. But then, you know, in terms of your question, like how do we go from, you know, developing some kind of mindfulness or inner healing to uh, the outer work? I think when it when it's actually happening, when you're actually doing it, you know, when you're mm -hmm. when there is growth, when there is change. Um, it's uh, it's it's a natural outgrowth. In other words, if if I release the 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 bound up heart, you know, within me, um, you know, I'm shown that I can love more, and I learn to trust that. I you know, learn to trust love. I learn to trust compassion and space and you know, open space. You know, the peace yep. that passes all understanding. The more I learn to trust that and surrender to it, the more I naturally care. You know, you don't have to tell yep. me to care. I will naturally care. And then um, then hopefully, um, as a natural outgrowth of that, I will um, take who I am, what my talents are, what my particular, um, you know, following my bliss path is, so to speak, and, right. and go to work with that vision, you know, that the vision is the healing of the planet, the awakening of the planet, um, the, the reconfiguration of the planet to get back onto balance and sustainable path. Um, so, but I think it's worthy, worth probably reminding people that psychedelics are not about just you by any stretch, right? Um, That's right. And, and any kind of healing work, you know, you can get lost in your own case history and so on and so on and so on, or it can become sort of narcissistic or selfish in that sense. But if it's actually working, yeah. uh, at least this is my hypothesis, and I th think it's, you know, I would get a lot of agreement on this, is that, you know, if you're actually releasing the wounds that have been limiting you and you're opening up to uh, the divine, if you will, um, then you're naturally going to be motivated to help others and uh, participate in the healing, you know? And I think one of the most important aspects, which, you know, also goes into some other, you know, mental health related issues is you're able to change the dynamics on the future generation. And that probably is the biggest impact because as you become more aware and more um, at peace, and understanding and um, 
have a better sense of the community around you and how it fits together, you share that with your children and they learn it and it transforms their appreciation of the world as well because we are the ones who create that generationally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in fact, that's that's central uh, to the whole thing. You know, you know, so here's another way of you know, thinking about this, not exactly thinking about it. It's, it's, it's pretty much what you're talking about, just with some elaboration added in here. Um, <clears throat> uh, the, the karma of what we've created on this planet, as I say, has kind of hit the fan. And, yep. um, uh, um, you know, and there may be other factors, you know, maybe the climate was going to change to some degree anyway, because it does, you know, we've actually yep. been through one of the longer periods of consistency and stability. Uh, it was only about, uh, I think it was either 10 or 12,000 years ago that we had uh, in massive climate change on this planet, massive, you know. We did. I think the big difference now is it's happening faster. And it's, that's our effect. Appears to be happening faster. I'm I'm just saying that there may be external factors that we didn't bring on, but we've certainly contributed to it. I think everyone absolutely everybody paying attention agrees on that. Um, but you know, you know, I mean, the way we've dug up the earth, the way we've polluted the rivers and mm-hmm. the air and the land and so on. Um, and there's so many of us on the planet too. Nonetheless, what I'm saying here is that. Uh, um, it appears that we are going into a very difficult period of time. Um, you know, that's a tough thing for a lot of people to hear. But I think it's important for people to hear who are resistant to acknowledging it because um, it's going to happen. And yep. as it happens, there's going to be levels of, of despair and depression, fear and confusion that are increasing. Um, you know, we already have a lot of that, you know, this they say there's you know levels of depression and anxiety are higher now than they might have ever been right and that's i'm sorry to say it's almost certain to keep getting worse because the climate continues to destabilize other levels of chaos continue to increase and so on and so on so um and again this comes back if i may say so to the mission of the book and and anyone who's working in this general direction that it's not for in a sense it's not for us because right it in in the lifetime of anyone on the planet right now, I I fear so to speak, or I I, I you know I say fear because I, I I don't even I kind of almost don't like to say it, but um, it's a challenge. I think it's going to get a lot worse. I'm sorry to say, I think it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to be much more survival oriented. Um, uh, uh, so it is for the generations to come. Yes, so it is. It's, so it's, it's altruistic in that sense that we have this vision that we are part of this. We will. We've always been part of this, no matter whether we're in a body or not. We are part of the divine. We're part of that matrix, whatever it is. And um, so, what we do now um, is not, in a sense, for us, because I don't think it's going to uh, pr- pr- produce much fruit. That's that's really evident while you know anyone alive now is alive however we're setting the seed for the future again and hopefully we do it better than we have you know burned everything in the last few years now we are running short on time but i have one last question i want to tack on uh just as part of it going back to the spirit plant medicine conference and to the book that which i encourage people to pick up and read the people who are looking at getting involved and are looking at you know, trying to reset and trying mm-hmm. to really open their minds. It's not a one and done process. What should people 
look at as far as expectations for as they start the journey, how, you know, it's not, you're not going to do something once and be done and over and Mm -hmm. it's, it's a journey. What, and you touched on Timothy O'Leary earlier or Timothy Leary earlier about, (laughs) you know, every day, and that's not quite the right response either for people. What do you think people should be planning for? Well, okay, that's a big question. Um, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> uh, so again, I think it ties into what I was just talking about, though, that um, we're, we're heading into a more difficult time. But out of that is almost certain, well, I would say certain to come rapidly increasing and developing levels of innovation and creativity as those people who, you know, as things get realer and realer, you might say, more right. people waking up to that and more people are waking up period, you know, and participating. So we're in for an amazing time. There's going to be so many amazing things happening. It's just going to be difficult on a lot of levels, probably. So people who come to this conference, um, they're going to hear a lot of inspiration. Um, The whole mission of the conference is about how do we move the understanding of psychedelics forward However, in the context of the overarching vision of how do we help heal ourselves so that we can go out and participate, ideally, in the healing and awakening of the planet, in the rebalancing and the recorrection, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, on environmental work or, um, you know, political work of some kind or another or creative work, artistic work, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever one is capable of, uh, even if you're if you know if you're if you're only capable of um treating everybody in your life with kindness and and mm-hmm. care and compassion you know but hopefully you get help with that when you come to this conference because you're going to hear a lot of amazing people they are truly leaders in the field everyone all the over 20 people who are coming here right. are all engaged in incredible activities like one of them is united plant savers another one is um bringing um you know uh marginalized communities into this work etc cetera, etc cetera. some of them are talking about how indigenous people are starting to use these psychedelics in the context of their traditional practices and that's producing amazing fruit both here in canada and the united states and perhaps some other places. So that, and as I mentioned earlier, the fact that you're going to, especially if you, you know, step out of yourself a little bit, you're going to meet a lot of really remarkable people because there's 500 people all coming, you know, with essentially the same idea in mind, like, what can I learn from this? And, uh, you know, where can I take it? So that's, that's kind of- How can I use it to be better? Yeah. And then, and what does better being better mean? As I say, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't just mean like now I can sort of comfortably fit into this dying trajectory of the planet, you know, yeah. it's, like, it's not trying to normalize oneself into something that is not sane to start with. It's how exactly. to wake up from the grand illusion and participate in that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a truly, you know, as we used to say, or people, you know, say stop and smell the roses, but it's actually stop, smell the roses and look around discover mm-hmm. what's really there open your eyes mm-hmm. Stephen. i'd like to thank you for joining us on high and healthy today and people who want to learn more they should go to spirit plant medicine conference or spiritplantmedicine.com but also um read your book where uh, else should they learn about you 
Uh, well, um, they can go to my website, uh, Stephen Gray. So it's Stephen with a PH, G R A Y vision.com. And there's a few other ways, uh, that you can, uh, find out about things I'm doing using the term Stephen Gray. Like I have a YouTube channel interviewing a lot of these same people. And right. that's Stephen Gray, all one word. And then vision is a separate word, YouTube. Um, I'm also on Facebook, same thing, Stephen Gray, vision, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I have that and I have, um, I, I do put some things on some of the other channels like TikTok and Instagram and LinkedIn and that sort of thing. So all that. And there's on my website, there's contact information and I would encourage people to sign up, uh, subscribe to my newsletter. I, there, there's no charge. I don't advertise, et cetera, et cetera. It's purely educational. Uh, it's just the more people sign up for it, the more it'll likely show up on, you know, searches and of course some of this information will get around further. And the same goes with the Facebook and so on and so on and so on. You know, yeah. um, it's all about um, the YouTube channel. If you subscribe to it, it shows up more on SEO, etc. Um, yeah. And so that's all for that purpose. Um, I don't make money from any of this. You know, if anyone knows anything about writing books, you get a buck a book roughly. So, you know, um, you know, if you sell 50,000 books, you, you know, uh, that's yep. a lot of books. Nobody, hardly anyone ever sells 50,000 books, you know. And they take a long time to write. So, <laughs> Stephen. Too. So thank you very much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your uh, your perspective and very thoughtful approach to the questions. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening. And please check out Spirit Plant Medicine Conference and spiritplantmedicine.com. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, I hope to see you there at the conference and along with everybody else. Yeah, um, that, it, it that is a really valuable event. It really is. It is. It's got a phenomenal yeah. reputation and recognition yeah. in general. Thank yeah. you so much. And thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky, and we'll be back again with you shortly.